Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the What I Value podcast, where we have discussions around health, wealth, and happiness. Today's guest for episode 11 is Kimberly Pearson, an advocate of the carnivore diet, a wellness coach, and a yogi. Today's episode focuses specifically on her interest in the carnivore diet and how it's benefited her health, how she's implemented it, and a few surrounding topics, but specifically around the carnivore diet. As always, I hope this episode can provide you some value. Maybe you can learn some insights and potentially implement some of the things you've learned into your lifestyle. So I hope you enjoy. Kimberly, thanks for joining me on the What What I Value podcast. I'm really excited to kind of connect with you. You've got um, a personal brand that's closely affiliated with something I'm pretty interested in as of late. Uh, So could you give me a background, a little background of, you know, what your personal brand is, what you do professionally, I think they're all kind of tied together. They are, they are. Um, so as far as a little background, I am Carnivore Kimberly on Instagram. I have been following the carnivore diet for over three years now. I'd say about 95% strict. Most of my nutrition comes from beef, eggs, butter, and lately raw milk. And I do some coaching. I'm also a yoga teacher as well as a board certified wellness coach. And so I have launched my brand Choose Zero Coaching where I focus a lot on you have the power to choose. You always have the power to choose. And at the end of the day, I want you to be able to choose zero coaching because you have chosen zero sugar, zero processed carbs, and zero seed oil. And that kind of is the foundation of, of the message that I'm trying to get out there. Sure. So is your coaching that you're doing primarily diet or is it also movement-based? I mean, you said you're a, um, a yoga instructor. Do you kind mm-hmm. of tie your coaching all together? Because I know holistic coaching is, you know, becoming more and more trendy versus, you know, the specific, hey, I'm a nutritionist or I'm a, you know, PT, that kind of thing. I find that the most success that I've had with my clients where they have had the most success is doing what works for them and letting the client lead where the coaching goes. So if they have an interest in yoga or an interest in CrossFit, or they're not ready for the movement portion yet, and they really just want to drill down on the nutrition, that's where we focus our energy rather than trying to you know get blood out of a turnip so to speak where you're trying to talk your client into something that they may not physically be ready yet or even emotionally ready yet so you meet the client where they are you let them set the pace and you work on the sticky things the obstacles that that come up okay so let's take a step back it kind Mm -hmm. of explain how you got into carnivore because you said you've been doing that for three years Mm -hmm. i'm sure it's probably a a core belief um you know with your coaching right you said seed oil is a big one that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that uh i think everybody in the the there's this new age of wellness space and seed oils are like the devil right now um as apparently (laughs) is kale um but anyhow so (laughs) for different reasons sure yeah um how did you get into the carnivore diet versus, you know, there's veganism, there's vegetarian, there's pescatarianism, there's, you know, um, paleo, keto, etc. How did you specifically get into carnivore? So the way that I got into carnivore, I was a pretty high level athlete growing up. 
I went to college and played volleyball at Texas State. I ended up blowing out my knee. And when I went from super high activity level to almost sedentary, I ballooned in weight. And I ended up getting somewhere around like 260 pounds. I was a size 18 going into a size 20. And I was uncomfortable in my body, grossly uncomfortable. Uh, everything hurt. It was a struggle to get out of bed in the morning. I hated myself. Um, it, it was like, I would look at myself in the mirror and go, how did I get here? You know, this, and, and I knew exactly how I got there. Um, eating, you know, gallons of ice cream and <laughs> ramen noodles on the, on the standard American college diet at that time. And it wasn't until, let's see, that would have been 2006, 2007, that I reached my highest weight. And I would go to the doctor because my mother was very worried about this weight gain and they tested my thyroid. They did everything. It came back perfect, of course, because the human body tries very hard to maintain that homeostasis. And so all of my blood work came back normal. Thyroid was fine. Um, but it wasn't until I met a friend of mine who at the time was doing CrossFit in 2010. And she introduced me to the primal blueprint, Mark Sisson's primal blueprint at marksdailyapple.com. And that is really where my journey started into learning that a calorie is often more than just a calorie and it depends on how your body reacts to those calories so if you are eating a diet that is high in refined carbs how is that affecting your hormones how is that affecting your insulin and how is that ultimately affecting your weight gain and your metabolic health and as soon as i dropped sugar refined carbs and seed oils from my diet the weight slowly started to peel off and I think it was over the course of about two or three years, I lost 75 pounds. Wow. And yes, and that, that, was, that was big. Um, well, it, it, it was smaller. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. Right? But, but it, yeah, you, you know what I mean. Um, but it was, it, it was a triumph for me because the, the women on my father's side of the family were all very large women and type one and type two diabetes run in both sides of my family. And so I was dealing with, you know, whenever I was at my highest, I was pre-diabetic because I could just tell by, you know, my blood sugar and the way that I couldn't go two to three hours without eating. I'd, I'd get to some point I was hangry and I would just have to shove food in my face. And then it would kind of calm down a little bit, uh, but then it would just ramp right back up. And after I lost that initial 75 pounds, life got a lot better. Um, wasn't perfect because I suddenly developed eczema and on my ankle and it was, it was awful. It was itching all the time. I had super thin nails. I was eating uh, what Mark Sisson calls his big ass. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast, sure. but his big Anything ass salads. They're branded. They're branded. I'm quoting. Um, and just a ton of spinach, a ton of kale, uh, massive amounts of vegetables, sweet potatoes, you know, lean meats and everything. And so I did lose weight on that, uh, that primal way of eating, but little nagging things like bloating after eating, uh, you know, I would have a salad and I would just look like I was about five months pregnant. I never could figure out why. 
And then I was reading, it was 2018, November, 2018, the day before Thanksgiving of all days. Good timing. And I, yeah, it was perfect timing. Uh, I came across an article by Kevin Stock called The Dangers of a Plant-Based Diet. And I don't even know how I stumbled upon this article. It's just the magic of the internet just puts things in front of you that apparently you need to read. And when I read about oxalates and glycoalkaloids and lectins and pectins and all of the different anti-nutrients and chemical warfare that plants use to defend themselves against things that would eat them, my life changed. And it was like in that moment, everything made sense. I cold turkey dropped everything out of my diet that was not meat-based and my eczema went away my hair got thicker. I used to have uh, like bald spots right here from pulling my hair back into ponytail. All of that has grown back in. Um, my eyelashes are thicker <laughs> and I lost an additional 15 pounds and my gains in the gym have been huge. I have not noticed a drop at all really in endurance. To be fair, whenever I first started, I went through the carnivore flu and there was about I don't know, two and a half to three weeks where, cause I was doing CrossFit at the time, I had to take the weight off the bar just to finish the workout because I had zero strength as I was converting to like complete ketone, you know, power, I guess if you want to call it that. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I, that, that was, that was challenging, but I kept telling myself that it would be worth it in the end because I'd read countless stories of people who had had success doing this. And sure enough, one day it was like a light switch. And now I can go, you know, pretty much all day without eating. I do an OMAD eating one meal a day. Uh, and I eat all of my calories in one meal. I eat all of my protein in one meal and I feel fantastic. Well, that's good. You, you covered so much. And I know a lot of people yeah. <laughs> don't understand carnivores. So you, you mentioned OMAD, so one meal a day, you're eating all your calories in one meal. Are you doing any kind of snacking, any kind of additional uh, intake outside of that other than fluids and maybe electrolytes? Every, see, I don't, I never did and don't do electrolytes. I feel that it can be very useful for, for people who feel like they need them. Um, I just kind of powered through. I never did any of the, the element salts or anything. I've had them before. Um, I just, I feel like for me personally, it was too much sodium, but that's me. Um, but what was the original question? Well, that, that, that was, so that was one. So you're yeah. doing one meal a day, no additional snacking or anything right, like that. You're right, not right. doing um, jerky or, um, I, I don't you know. know, I saw a bacon on your recent Instagram that would, mm -hmm. I would be eating so much bacon. Um, if, if I was it's on one bad. meal a day, not a bad life. <laughs> so it's, tr it's truly down to one meal and then water throughout the day. Yes. Um, I used to drink coffee and then I quit that and that was quite a process, but that is correct. I eat my largely, I eat one meal a day. Sometimes I eat two meals. I'll have, you know, some eggs in the morning if I'm just feeling hungry. Sure. Um, and part of this journey has been learning to listen to my body and intuitive eating. 
if I'm hungry in the morning, I have some raw milk or I have some eggs and cheese or, or something. And then when I'm hungry in the evening, I have my ribeye and maybe less eggs or less bacon than I would have eaten. So I still eat roughly the same number of calories, either divided into two meals or mostly one meal. Okay. You mentioned raw milk. I know that's, it's a taboo subject in New Jersey because it's illegal in New Jersey. Um, I, I, I think the law is that it's <laughs> technically illegal, um, but can you describe what raw milk is versus regular, um, just for anybody listening that doesn't know what raw milk is? Sure. So the milk that you buy at the store, we can start describing, you know, what, what people are very familiar with. Sure. Ultra pasteurized, homogenized, purified, same color, year round, all different brands. You pour it. It's this beautiful, pristine white color. Um, the difference is that is from what I have read, it is a dead product versus raw milk, which is non-homogenized, which means if you let it sit long enough, the, the cream and the milk will separate and you'll have a cream line at the top. Uh, it has all of the bacteria. It has all of the enzymes that you need to digest milk. And more often than not, the milk that you buy in the store is A1 casein, which is the protein in milk, versus a raw milk, which is usually a Jersey or Guernsey cow, which is A2 casein. A2 casein is the same protein that's found in human breast milk. And so if you have someone who struggles with drinking conventional store-bought dairy, when they switch to either A2 goat's milk or A2 cow's milk, the digestibility is much easier. And so I found that back whenever I was primal, I would eat A1 dairy, you know, sour cream, cheese, milk, ice cream even, and I would get bubble gut where immediately your, your gut just start Like you think about blowing, taking a straw and blowing bubbles in a glass of milk. That's what was happening inside my stomach. So you felt a churning and active, exactly. something was going on. Okay. Something very bad was going on. Okay. And then as soon as I switched to the A2, and I'm very fortunate that I have a co-op down the street from me uh, that gets A2 raw, non-homogenized, not pasteurized, beautiful yellow golden milk from a farm a couple of hours away and they drive it in. You have to buy it beforehand. So it's quite a process to, to get it. Uh, it is very stringently regulated that's probably more regulated than the milk you buy in the store. And regularly these raw milk dairies are tested by the state and they have to meet extremely rigorous guidelines for like bacteria parts per million. And it's, it, if it's over, they have to dump the entire batch. So it's extremely well-maintained. Yeah. I think I, I know a lot of the advocates describe it because the, the benefits are from the protein differences, the digestibility differences, and you know, the very paramount is the, the biological activity, right? Mm -hmm. We don't consume yeah. generally anything that's biologically active. Kombucha has biologically active. Yogurt is kind of iffy, depending on what kind of yogurt mm -hmm. we're getting. So we're con consuming a lot of dead stuff, you know, and that's, I mean, I'm kind of in the same um, intellectual sphere as you, uh, let's call it. Um, the belief that our system is totally radically broken um, and that there's a lot of things that we that are resources there to fix it. So you're, you're preaching to a choir here, but I, I love the conversation, you know, um, 
the fact that like bubble gut, you know, the, like I think I'm lactose intolerant. I think I am. I take lactate when I consume milk products. I have no issues. I, uh, I do eat lactate ice cream, like lactate brand ice cream. No issues. Uh, if I do that with general, like other dairy products, I'll have issues. Bubble gut kind of, nor, you know, products, uh, difficulty up top. And then, you know, later on, um, but it's interesting Here that, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't need to get into yeah. it, but like my, my, my friends who ha you consume raw dairy describe not having those issues, even if they came from a background of lactose intolerance, which is really interesting. Right. Yes. Uh, on, on that point real quick, my husband was told that he has a milk allergy and I, I may be speaking out of turn, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of people assume that because they can't drink conventional dairy that they are lactose intolerant and they kind of self-diagnose in that way when it may be more of a sensitivity to the A2 because as soon as he started drinking the A2, no problems. So he went from experiencing pretty radical bubble gut with cheese, ice cream, the regular milk and then switched to A2, it's, it's delicious. That, that's <laughs> fantastic, that's good to hear. I mean, I, I think, you know, yeah. getting rid of these preconceived notions, you know, I wanted to ask you um, from your perspective, you know, where are seed oils coming from? But the point being is like preconceived notions of, oh, I don't, I don't cook with canola oil. I'm not cooking with these supposed seed oils. No, but you're getting them through your diet. Oh, did you have that like tasty treat from the bakery? Well, you got some seed yeah. oils there. Um, yeah. So, you know, w where do you find that a lot of people have, you know, s they're sneaking in the bad things? Um, that they might think that they're, oh, I'm eating pretty healthy. In everything. It's literally in everything. See, that's such um, an, I, I love, I love how that, that's such a problem, right? Um, but can yeah, you and, give some examples, you know, the typical everyday yeah, person. Yeah. Um, you, you go get a low fat salad dressing. The first ingredient is canola oil or soy oil. Um, the you so one one example you didn't exactly ask this but one example of a restaurant that doesn't use industrial seed oils is buffalo wild wings they actually fry all of their stuff in tallow so just want to throw that out there it's good to know <laughs> um but i mean cereal dry cereal has soybean oil in it um Oatmeal doesn't because it's literally just oats, but, but some of the instant oatmeals that you get, the flavoring and everything, the ingredients in the flavorings contains 2% or less than uh, things like soybean oil. Um, you mentioned treats from the bakery. Bread has soybean oil in it. Uh, there, I mean, it, it, it's like the things that have soybean oil or corn oil or corn derivative or rapeseed oil or safflower oil or sunflower oil or some kind of seed oil it's such a large category of food that you can almost just say it probably has it in it even vegetables from the store speaking of corn derivatives are usually coated in a corn wax so if you don't wash your vegetables or your fruit like apples in extremely hot water and literally melt that wax coating off of your apples, you're eating corn. 
which is extremely high in omega-6s. It's extremely inflammatory. It attacks your reproductive system. It spikes your insulin. And in those limited, tiny, minute qualities, I'm not sure, uh, quantities, I'm not really sure that it would have that much of an effect. But I mean, think about the people who eat fruit every day. I mean, they're getting the, that little tiny drip of oil, corn, wheat, gluten, sugar, <laughs> and all of its myriad different names. And it's just the, the gymnastics that these companies go through to market these healthy, alternative, processed foods. And they're so cheap. You know, it's so easy to go buy Hamburger Helper that has all of these really not not so healthy ingredients, but they put on there that it's, you know, sponsored by the American Health Heart Association. And you're going, but this has seed oils that directly cause inflammation to your arteries that cause heart attacks. Like you look at the the ingestion of seed oils from starting in like the 1970s or so and the direction that heart disease has gone. And I mean, it's just up. Right. And that's independent of consumption of overall fats or cholesterols. Yep. Yes. Yep. And, you know, butter consumption has gone down, but these seed oils have gone up and so has heart disease. And it's just heart disease, cancer, diabetes. I mean, you want to, you name it, we've got it. (laughs) Let's, let's talk about, um, the anti-nutrients. You mentioned that at the beginning, how vegetables have anti-nutrients. People think of nutrients, they're good for you, they, the building blocks of your body, etc. What are anti-nutrients and why, you know, where, where can I find them? So anti-nutrients are chemical compounds found in foods that prevent your body from, they, they can do a couple different things. One of the things is it prevents your body from being able to utilize another nutrient. So in the case of kale, you mentioned evil kale earlier, Uh, kale is very high in oxalates. And so when you eat oxalates, two things happen. Oxalates bind to calcium and that prevents your body from reusing your calcium and your calcium reuptake cycle, as well as break down into, forgive me, I'm may not be pronouncing this, but raphides or raphides, R-A-P-H-I-D-E-S. Oxalates break it down into these tiny little microscopic needles and they get lodged in your kidneys, your thyroid, your... Breast tissue. Breast tissue, (laughs) fibroids, that was the other one. And they just found out that these will pass the blood-brain barrier and have been found in patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. So... If you're eating like I was the, the big salads every day, and you're trying to do the right thing and eating all of your superfood vegetables, it may actually be hurting you in the long run. And I say this with a caveat that everyone's tolerance is different. Everyone's dietary needs are unique. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. This is not dietary doctor advice, you know, I kind of have to preface that, but it, it seems that in large doses, these anti-nutrients, uh, the oxalates found in, in leafy greens, collard greens, mustard greens, spinach, uh, kale, chard is another one, um, to photo, photosynth, I can't ever say this, sensitizers, photosensitizers in fruit is another one that makes your eyes very sensitive to light. Uh, it's also responsible, like they say in Brazil, if you're 
making a specific drink that you're not supposed to squeeze the lime with your hands because it will stain your skin. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. Um, glycoalkaloids found in potatoes. The, the kid in, I think it was North by Northwest who died in the Alaskan wilderness and they did a documentary on him. He died from wild potato poisoning because there was nothing else to eat and he found these wild potatoes and oh good potatoes right I, like i, I had thought he had mushroom. died from it was like mush, mushroom consumption or something like that um he, he was the he was the, the kid that um it was in, into the wild uh, i think it was the book yes i have it on my shelf yes. over there yeah we'll um we'll have to go back and, and fact check me on that sure. but i i i want to say it was it was potato poisoning wild potatoes but it i mean it could have been mushrooms but that furthers the point that i'm trying to make is that 98 percent of plants on this planet are inedible you can't go out and eat grass you can't go out and pick the leaves off the tree and eat those we didn't really get into large quantity quantities of vegetable consumption until world war ii that was kind of a new thing for humanity uh, at least in in the states and you know, you look at the disease, I, I hate to keep bringing it back to, you know, because correlation's not necessarily causation, but I mean, you are what you eat. <laughs> yeah, it's, so. it's really, it's, I like to look at, because um, we can correlate data, etc. And I think that it's really shocking to see those things, but you could get an intelligent person debating you and they could say, oh, well, that was also correlative to obesity. And then that, you know, comes from a myriad of, of different um sources so now obesity and then heart disease well if those two are correlative then you can't now it's all muddy but what you can do is you can say well i can induce using oxalate um you know in a study of this has been done before uh induce kidney failure uh in in mouse models um you know cause the mice's uh kidneys to fail by in injecting them with oxalates kidney failure within a few days and yeah. then they have to undo that damage um and you're describing you know consuming big salads things like that and they were doing um they were inducing kidney failure in somewhere of the territory of about i think it was um uh, it was in the, the the few gram territory of oxalates which is is sounds like a, a lot right a gram um your average supplement is about between 250 milligrams and half a gram of total material for everybody listening so a little supplement pill is about that so you know a small handful of of that extracted out of your your kale or your your spinach or whatever could cause human kidney failure right so they scaled the model for mice they induced that breast tissue they caused breast tissue in um well they caused they caused um breast tissue to to be can become cancerous um that was in an in vitro model not an in vivo model but still so it's really scary right you think hey i'm eating healthy um and, yeah, and they but, are pushing them. exactly and you know, do you do you have a, a a thought or have you thought about why they would want to push seed oils? Why would they would want to push you to eat green leafy things, etc.? Uh, and, and the big they is kind of scary. They being, yeah. let's say, the health boards. Um, why would you, as an individual private citizen who's created wellness coaching, go one way that's completely contrary to to the the standard thinking? That's, that's a multi-layered question sure. right there. And, and I think that to fully answer it, we have to go back to the very start of kind of the fat causes heart disease argument. When 
President Eisenhower uh, had his heart attack and then Ansel Keys came in and did the seven country study and he kind of cherry picked his data and he found that the countries that were eating the highest amount of fat were having higher incidence of heart attacks. Um, that data was not whole when he delivered it and subsequently the American Heart Association was like, yes, totally, we need to, you know, saturated fat, bad, causing heart attacks. And now here we are today with this, quite frankly, outdated data still dictating the policy of nutrition in this country. And you can use your eyeballs and look around that the calories in, calories out, eat less, move more, whole wheat, don't eat butter, eat margarine, it's not working. Like it's just, it's not working. And I really don't buy this thing that it's the patient's fault because these companies are looking to make profits. They're not necessarily looking to create the most healthy products that they can. And so they are creating hyper palatable, sugar laden, chemical, food, if you even want to call it food, that is literally designed to addict you. There are labs within companies with scientists and departments devoted to determining the best smoke flavor to add to their barbecue chicken fingers, you know, that is most pleasing to the control groups. And then that's what they put out for people to eat. So it is designed to titillate all of your senses. The bliss point is the, the actual term that companies use for the perfect amount of fat, the perfect amount of flavor, the perfect amount of sodium to get the human brain addicted to these foods. And at the end of the day to address the original question that you asked, it's the money, it's the money. And I, I also have a hunch that it's a little bit of pride maybe wrapped up because imagine the chaos that would ensue if people suddenly learned that, oh my gosh, the entire medical system is based on a lie. <laughs> and, you know, you look back through millennia of human, human evolution we wouldn't be where we are today having this discussion if it weren't for essentially the paleolithic carnivore diet right. we are perfectly designed to digest meat and animal food meat when it goes in your body you have a stomach acid of one to two a ph of one to two that's where it starts the only creature on this planet that has a stomach acid more acidic than a human being is a vulture so the meat goes in, it gets digested, it literally melts in your small intestine, the water is extracted in your colon, and out it goes. We are a monogastric um, species, and we're, we are literally designed to eat meat. People talk about your digestive fire, we're kind of getting off topic, but people talk about your digestive fire. If you have a campfire, and you throw a bunch of wet grass clippings on that fire, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to either get smaller or go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by eating a bunch of vegetables, you are essentially 
killing your digestive system because that's not, I mean, you can eat it and you'll live, but you won't thrive. You won't thrive on it. You'll, you'll be slower to heal. And you know, this, this brings up another topic that you asked before, you know, why didn't I go vegan? Well, fair, a fair question. Um, I did a stint of vegan, uh, vegetarianism. I've never been vegan, but I did vegetarianism for a while because I was like, oh, I want to eat cleaner. I want to eat less meat. I want to eat more salads. I felt awful. I could hardly think. Um, I had body aches and pains. I was eating those big salads. Um, it was just, it, it did not mesh well with my body. And so I went back and I added more meat in and I started to feel better. I could think again. Um, and I just, Knowing what I know now, it's easy for me to look back and go, oh, it's because I wasn't getting any nutrients from, you know, the, the salads that I was eating or the uh, sandwiches that I was having or the eggplant Parmesan that I love to eat. And I wish it weren't that way. You know, I, I wish that, that we could just live on plants because, you know, the, the vegan argument of kindness to animals and you don't want anything to suffer i'm i'm here for that well, um i know where you're going with that and i want to i want to add to the that part of the conversation so one aspect of my question was you know the why were people advocating for that so there's a few advocate groups of advocation that i've heard there's the you know caring for the animals thing and then that kind of breaks into a few different questions of, you know, is, it, is each animal life independently just as valuable? So is a cow the same as an ant, is the same as a mouse, et cetera? Um, and then their whole argument falls apart if you want to dig into that. Because if you kill one cow, you feed a, a, an average person if they're just eating meat for almost a year, right? Yes, um, yeah, you, a lot of meat. Uh, soybean <laughs> fields just massacre thousands of, you know, yeah. snakes and mice and rodents and, and then insects just get absolutely decimated by the pesticides and and the herbicides etc you you get decimated by the pesticides and herbicides because of that wax you were describing we haven't even touched on that. talked about we haven't even talked about glyphosate but, well <laughs> yeah and, uh, the, that has its own problems but then the other side of that morality question is uh like that that co2 output and there's a great book um i have yet to read it but i have a, a general summary and understanding of it um it's um called the sacred cow and the sacred cow is describing, I don't know if you, have you read that? I have not. Okay, I have not, but, I, but I've looked at the emissions and everything on that. Okay. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's the other thing is, well, you're being kind to the environment um, by mm -hmm. eating these other things, the, these, um, you know, the soybean oils and stuff, you're getting the same nutrients. So let's pretend that we're dumb and don't understand how nutrients work. Um, you're getting the same nutrients. You're getting the fats, you're getting the proteins, et cetera. Um, dis disregarding that your body's not absorbing and utilizing it for your actual tissue. Um, but but you're saving the environment so it's worth it versus that nasty cow that's farting up you know the environment you know drive your tesla eat your soybean oils and be happy but the what they don't consider is the fact that you know you're sacrificing your personal health and you know from i'm not religious but i come from the perspective of you know life is pretty sacred um in that weird non-religious sacred perspective and so mm -hmm. you're sacrificing your own health for this ephemeral the environment so on both sides, at least from the you know broad brushstrokes, you're kind of their arguments fall apart. At least from my perspective, they can you know have a different value structure. They're different scales of justice, and it weighs out differently. What are your thoughts on kind of what I just went over? So the the cow fart emissions, because I've I've heard that argument several several times. Cow fart emissions. 
scientifically, because that's that's the scientific name for them. I was joking uh, about that, but yeah, they, they, do, they do actually describe no, no, that in the no, Green totally, New Deal. Totally, yeah. that's, that's exactly what it is. Uh, methane yeah. accounts for like 2% of the greenhouse gases, where if you look at the industrial production of seed oils, it's quite a bit bigger. Um, the, the argument of the intention, I think I saw a TED talk by Earthling Ed the other day, where he talks about the difference between the intention of murdering a cow to eat it versus accidentally murdering thousands of mice and squirrels and foxes and bunnies and worms and you know, microbes and everything is different. And I'm going, how? So, <laughs> I guess now you're going to have to advocate for his, his descriptor and to, to explain it to me. So is his argument that you're intentionally killing this cow or this chicken or this, uh, this egg, which represents theoretically a life form, right. um, or um, incidentally, like when you're driving in a car, you accidentally hit a chipmunk. It's not your fault. You didn't mean to. So is that a similar kind of argument that he's trying to make? I believe yes. And I think that he actually uses uh, the, the example of accidentally running over a dog with the car, okay. um, that it wasn't intentional. And therefore you are somehow absolved of killing that animal. Um, I personally don't draw a distinction between a cow and a worm. A life is a life to me. Um, I obviously hold humans in, in a higher regard than an animal. Um, and on, on that note, you mentioned that you kind of touched on the aspect of self harm, because if you're not getting those nutrients, you're not doing yourself any favors, regardless of how much virtue signaling you want to do with, with the health aspect of it or the environmental, these, these emotional arguments that are made. And, and it's very emotional. I have a 50 something goats in my backyard. And if I lose one, it's a heavy day. It's a heavy day on the farm. Um, so, so I am, I am like right here with, with life and death. And there was a beautiful poem, I guess you could call it where it says that death is a closer companion to me than life, because at any moment we could be gone. Sure. You know, whether it's a car accident or, or some catastrophic something, um, we're, we're guaranteed no extra minutes on this planet. Um, getting into a little bit more of an esoteric type of thing. It's something that is very close and near and dear to me is, is yoga and the idea of the, the tenets of yoga. One of those is ahimsa and that is self like, like do no harm. Ahimsa is do no harm. And for vegans who try so hard to do this and inflict no harm on other beings, which is a very worthy goal, they do harm to themselves. And there have been people who make pilgrimages, spiritual pilgrimages to India, they go vegan. And then when they find their guru, their guru takes one look at them and they go get this person some meat and milk. And so you have these vegans who have an idea of, of what they think ahimsa is, and ultimately they're doing more harm to themselves, which means that they can't be doing good. 
because you have to do good for yourself in order to put out good. So, so it's just harm upon harm upon harm. And it's, it's a cycle that's really hard to break. Right. The, the furthest extent, like I, I like to, I, I do a lot of debating, whether it be with my family members or with the various uh, intellectual groups that I, political or uh, diet or movement based, um, you know, I, I work out with a bunch of different people and they all come from different backgrounds. But one mm. of the things I do is I extend a, a point of logic out to the farthest extreme. And it's not, I, I know there's the argument of steel manning, straw manning, and that would be arguing that it's a straw man because you're taking it to the farthest end of the extreme. I actually think it's a useful tool in seeing where that goes, right? The idea that if we, oh, well, if you just, um, well, I'm just, I'm not going to use an analogy because I don't want to use that one. Um, <laughs> Uh, is if you say, well, okay, if I harm myself a little bit, it makes the environment a little bit better, but um, let's just extend it out to what the obvious conclusion is. Well, then just kill yourself. Kill yourself. You do no harm right. to the environment. You're not a contributing factor to any greenhouse emissions after the point of death. So just kill yourself. And I don't like that because, again, I, I think that you know life is valuable, um, but I do, I follow the same construct as that like, a human life is tremendously valuable, um, you know, as long as you're doing something with it. Like I don't like the argument, you know, every life is tremendously valuable. It is as long as it's acting out some kind of benefit to um, society. Wait, wait, wait. But mm -hmm. it, it goes to that kind of, I, I don't want to, to construe that I'm like a religious person. I believe that there's value in like, you know, doing good to society or culture. Cause I don't, I think it's more internal than that, but regardless, I think that that's the concern though, is with uh, this health thing. When you're feeding yourself good food, you can get good output, whether that's, you know, personal output or for community or for society at large. I do want to ask, um, so you mentioned eczema and you mentioned doing blood panels when you were transitioning diets and things like that. Now that you're at the, you're kind of stabilized with the three years of carnivore, has your, have your blood panels stayed the same? I don't know if you've done those. And has your eczema cleared up? Eczema's gone, thousand percent gone. Um, and my blood panels, honestly, with the, with the exception of my glucose, my fasting glucose, which is lower now, it's in about the 70s and low 80s rather than the high 90s and 100s. Um, that is the only thing that has changed. Uh, well, my triglycerides are much lower now. Uh, but anything having to do with blood sugar is, is like low. Like everything that you would expect to see... Um, someone that is considered, you know, by the book healthy, I am on, on paper. Now, as soon as I start to tell the doctors what I'm doing, they freak out when you have sure. to eat, you know, what, what are you doing? You need to eat carbs. I'm like, can you explain why? And they're like, well, cause that's what we learned in medical school. And I was like, oh, the 25 hours that you took of nutrition training in medical school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, so your, so your blood panels look good. Um, so you're not consuming any honey or any kind of, I, I know, um, you know, if I was to go down this ro uh, road, I would follow more of the carnivore-ish model, which would include some fruit, uh, large bodied fruit, you know, things like papaya, um, things that don't have the di different distance between the core seeds and the skin is the largest amount because that way there's the most amount of tissue, least amount of uh, plant defense chemicals, which you alluded to earlier. That's the approach I would have, but you don't do any of that. No. And that, that I, I never begrudge someone from eating fruit. Um, I feel that for certain people, fruit can have a tremendous impact, especially if you are, 
doing bodybuilding, you know, fruit, fruit can help with that. Uh, I just, I tend to personally shy away from it just for me because honey is still very high in salicylates, which is another one of those anti-nutrients. It can trigger things like eczema. Asthma is another thing that salicylates can trigger. Um, psoriasis is also on that list. And when I was gaining weight, I realized very quickly that I have a tendency to binge eat if I'm not careful. And so if, you know, as an adult coming into my adultness, I, I was that meme where it was like, oh, you mean I can go to the store, buy a whole cheesecake and eat it by myself and no one can say anything, you know? Oh, okay. This is, this is great until it wasn't. And I have to be super careful. And I have found even whenever I was doing the primal paleo way of eating, um, I would still be able to overeat buttery vegetables like sweet potatoes and butter. I mean, I can go to town on some sweet potatoes and butter. I can eat three sweet potatoes by myself. And I had to reel that in because I would have, you know, 10 pound, 15 pound weight swings on, on primal. And I have found that on carnivore, I am much more satisfied with my food that I don't, you know, finish a meal and then feel like I need to come in here and have ice cream or uh, just a little something or maybe some chocolate, you know, or, or whatever it is that I would reach for after the meal because I wasn't fully satisfied. But it's really difficult to binge eat steak. Have you ever been to a uh, churrascaria, one of the all-you-can-eat steak Brazilian steakhouses? I went to one, but um, I ended up eating a lot of a mix of things. I had some steak and things yeah. like that. But you're right. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, I still can manage to go down with uh, like one. I think the best I've done is like one and a half, two pounds of steak, and it's okay. a lot of steak. But um, that's mm -hmm. a fixed amount of calories, right? And you know, mm -hmm. I, I love the idea that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off of your thought. Oh, uh, but the um, you know, with consumption of calories, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, that two thousand, uh, that two pounds of steak, let's say, you can go through that. It's delicious. It's great. But you feel you do feel satisfied. You know, that night, I think I didn't eat until one o'clock the next day. Um, yeah. I was just I wasn't hungry, and it wasn't because it was like, oh well, I feel bloated. It was just society or satiate. I was satiated. Um, yeah, satiety. Satiety, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I was just not hungry, right? Uh, I don't even know if I had coffee that next morning. Um, that's one thing that's going to be difficult if I do approach the carnivore diet, the coffee, caffeine thing. Um, I'm, I'm approaching it slowly, right? You know, I, I've, I've, I'm reading The uh, Carnivore Code by Paul Saladino. Uh, that's why I'm approaching it from the carnivore-ish perspective. You have a completely different, you're more the Sean Baker approach. Um yeah. Uh, although he doesn't seem to advertise his consumption of eggs or anything like that, um, but he doesn't do any sugars. Correct. I think that he is 100% red meat, almost almost like Michaela Peterson's lion diet, where it's just red meat and salt and water. Um, I was going to say something and it left me. Oh, on, on the coffee, may I make a friendly suggestion sure. on that? And, and let you know um, kind of my journey on quitting coffee because I drank coffee habitually for over a decade. Um, I started by doing three quarters caffeinated and one quarter decaf. And then I would drink that for a while. And then I went to half and half. So I would do half calf, half decaf. And then I would do that for a while. And then I did one quarter caffeinated, three quarters decaf, 
and slowly weaned myself off because I've done the cold turkey coffee quit before. Never in a thousand years would I do that again. It Interesting. was I, I find, um, I think caffeine for me is something I wouldn't wean myself off of. I would probably titrate up with caffeine supplements. Um, I know, I, I know that, you know, um, coffee has a bunch of oxalates in it. That's one of the downsides of it. Um, there's also the, the caffeine element, uh, but I think caffeine is such a, a potent nootropic, um, and I like the performance benefits in terms of you know in the gym, uh, and I won't get away from pre workout. I, I would love to, but I, I know I'm a, from the bodybuilding side of things again. That that carnivore code kind of uh, Paul Saladino approach. I'm gonna need that sugar, but it's it's definitely interesting to hear your, your perspective. Um, you know, I, I couldn't do no sugar. I, I think having that muscle fullness from the the glute. Um, glycogen having that additional level of endurance energy that I just I don't believe I would have I've done I've done 24 or 36 hour fasts and they just end tragically um <laughs> muscle spasms etc um Whoop. yeah it's 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 not fun but I think I'm just I've always approached it from the wrong perspective um okay. but that goes to my next question uh, I want to um ask you so you have a client coming in you don't know they, they, they eat a standard diet, they come to you, and they want to get better. And their health metrics are, I want to lose a little bit of weight. I'm not really concerned about weight too much. What is your kind of approach with them? Are you going to be asking them a ton of questions? What, what is your process as a, as a wellness coach? I'm going to ask them a ton of questions. That's, that's okay. where so it starts. I, I eat standard American food. I'm trying to lose a mm -hmm. tiny bit of weight. What's the next step? The next step is... What do you think? So, so you say the goal is, is weight loss is what I'm hearing. Um, what do you think has contributed the most to your weight gain would be a good place to start. And you know, your, your answer would be insert. It would be overconsumption of this or that, but it's, it, it, so you're describing it. It's a, it's a question process. Are you the, at the end of the day, are you advising them with a meal plan? Is it a day to day coaching? Are you doing like, Let's, let's get past now. We've done the consult. You've come to a conclusion. What's your advisement mm -hmm. process? I want to like perspective listeners that are listening to this and are going to hear that, you know, Kimberly Pearson could be my wellness coach. What does that mean to them? So I would take your answer of overconsumption. And my next question is, what do you think is causing that overconsumption? And so my job as a coach is to help the client get to the root of what's stopping them from reaching their goals, whatever that goal is. Uh, it is, it is not up to me to dictate to someone else what their macros should be or what their food plan should be. The, the style of coaching that I do that I have seen have tremendous success is, is people you, you hold their hand through it to be fair. And so if, you know, we're, we're rocking and rolling, we get down to the root of what's causing your overconsumption and it's stress, you know, you're, you're staying up way too late and then it, you get munchies during the night. And then all of a sudden you, you come to me and you say, Hey, you know, I'm really struggling with sugar cravings. And then I would ask you, Hey, you know, how's your sleep? And you might say, Oh, well, you know, I've kind of been staying up really late on my phone. I've gone, okay, well, I've heard you say in the past that this is your goal, 
do you think that what you're doing now is moving you towards or away from your goal? And then the obvious answer is, oh, well, what I'm doing is moving me away from my goal. And so then it's up to them to course correct rather than me going, well, duh, dummy, you're on your phone late at night and your cortisol and all this stuff, because you can just drown someone in the science of why they shouldn't be doing something. And that is not going to get nearly the same results as if you help them arrive to the conclusion that they need to arrive at. Because no one is as much of an expert on you as you. So how can I come in? We have a 30 minute phone call and then I'm suddenly supposed to be telling you what is about how you need to live your life and everything. I, I have been coached that way before. And it, it's, I don't want to say it's a failure because there are some people who do really well with that boot camp style of coaching where this is what it is, this is the plan, you know, stick to it and they have success on it. But is it lasting success? Or is it, I'm going to meet these goals for this amount of a lot of time. And then whenever I lose 20 pounds, I'm going to go out and celebrate with Mexican food and margaritas. And then they right back in that cycle of exactly. So you, I, I would help my client get to the root, the why, you know, so you want to lose 20 pounds. Why? You know, and if you ask someone why enough, eventually you get down to the true nugget of, of why it is that they want to lose the 20 pounds or look good in a bikini or, you know, and, and a lot of times it has to do with childhood trauma of bullying in school. And, you know, this instance, whenever I was in junior high, it just leveled my confidence and I've never been able to really get it back. And so I want to feel confident. It's like, okay, well, if you had that confidence, how would your life be different? And then they start telling you, oh, well, I could do this and I could do that. And, I could. and so all of these are things that you can draw on in the future if they fall off the path to remind them that, hey, I remember you said that you really wanted to feel confident for insert whatever reason here is what you're doing aligning with what you said that you wanted. And then they have to kind of check and balance themselves. And so it's, it's a really interesting dance that you go through with clients. So, so you're building out some of that in that first 30 minutes. And then are you doing weekly? Are you, I, I know I have some fitness coaches that don't do weekly check-ins. They do bi-weekly check-ins because they're powerlifting uh, clients. H how do you structure your follow-up visits? Because obviously 30 minutes is not nearly enough to get, I mean, we're having over a 30 minute conversation right now just to kind right. of shoot the <laughs> shit about, uh, about, I mean, you essentially. Um, but you know, what are the follow-ups look like? And you know, I mean, how many clients are you dealing with? Are you looking to onboard more clients, et cetera? So right now I do have space to take a couple more clients. I do typically about six at a time. Uh, and I will arrange it so that we do a once a week check-in because I feel it's very important to kind of get that, that like Thursday, how has your week been? What do we have coming up on the weekend? You know, let's come up with some plans together to maximize the success so that we don't, like I used to do, you know, eat like an unsupervised child over the weekend, <laughs> done it. Um, and then it, it's, it's really as long as it needs to be, you know, usually about 45 minutes or so, I find that we can really drill down and, and get to some of the issues that, that we're having. Um, and then just kind of 
daily as needed on on instagram or text messages if you're having a bad day you know send me a text let's let's work through it let's maybe have an extra phone call um i'm right now i am more concerned with helping people than i am you know being like the jillian michaels of of carnivore right now i just want to get this message out because i feel like so many people can can benefit and if someone doesn't want to go full-blown carnivore they don't have to you know like i said you're the expert on you so if you think that you need carbs to further your bodybuilding aspirations i'm here for it how can i help you do that um it's 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 awesome <laughs> no I, I can hear the passion in, in your voice and you know you, you seem to have like a plan, right? You're, you're not saying you, hey, I could onboard 20 clients, right? You, you, you give it, you have six more slots or something like that, or you, you have an ongoing six clients, you know, um, that's, you know, a good model, right? Rotating, yeah. Uh, the, and, and my goal is eventually to graduate my clients so that they can choose zero coaching. And that's why I chose that, that name, that coaching name, um, because I don't want to have a client in perpetuity forever because if i have that that means that i have failed at coaching this person to autonomy and that's what i want to do is i want to get everyone to the stage where they can make informed decisions about the food that they choose to or not eat and move on with their lives and experience effortless health and wellness and and get on track and stay on track and be able to get back on track when they fall off because Guilty is charged. I've done it too. So your goal is to get them off of coaching that you want a client that graduates from your program and from your coaching protocol. Fantastic. Well, how, if a potential client, how do I contact you? You can contact me at believe at choose zero coaching.com. You can also find me on Instagram at carnivore Kimberly and I'm here. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, having this conversation. I'll definitely DM you about anything uh, that we discussed. Uh, I'm going to share um, this through the Spotify, the YouTube, etc. It was really great having you on um, and uh, look forward to speaking with you again. Likewise, this was a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for watching this episode of the What I Value podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please give it a like, give it a rating on the various podcast platforms you listen on. And if you're watching on YouTube, or please subscribe uh, as it really helps kind of give me some feedback as to what you guys like and what you guys don't like. So once again, thank you so much and we'll see you next time.